Welcome and thank you for joining me for season two of Just Black Talking. I am your host, Dr. Justin Black, proud alumnus of Morgan State University, the national treasure represent anesthesiologist by profession, podcaster by this passion. Look, I push dope for a living. And with you, I'm here talking about living dope with dope ass people. As always, I'm here to magnify the successes and stories of exceptional black America as seen through my lenses. What does that mean? Look, I don't know about you, but I'm surrounded by dope blackness. So much so, I'm guilty of it. I take it for granted. Seemingly ordinary folk actually living their exceptional versions of the black American dream. Yet we're saturated with this narrow-minded, unproductive, purposefully negative depiction of what society has defined and perceived as being black. Well, enough of society defining blackness. We're here to shift perceptions, define definitively what blackness in America is. It's time to blackwash that old dusty ass narrative and refresh it. You might not understand it, but it's going to be something about it that you like. Because it's looking good, it's smelling good, like cocoa butter around lunchtime. You know what I'm saying? Like Missy said, we're going to flip it and reverse it. Black is infinite. It encompasses all things. We're the originators, trendsetters, overcomers, resilient, literally forged in fire. We are the original people. Black America, this is our soapbox. I want to showcase your greatness, share your stories, give you your shine, and help empower others to live in their authenticity. Our people need to understand that there are all these extraordinary people that look like them everywhere doing all these exceptional things, and they can do it too. We want people of all nationalities, ethnicities, cultures, and identifications to be encouraged. So I invite you to stay and listen and care to hear what your fellow Americans are up to. Don't get me wrong, maybe a little funny acting at first until we know that you're down, but that's systemic. Just come on board with this experience with us as we tell the untold tales and share the unspoken stories and successes of exceptional black America. All right. So before we get started, here's the house rules. We got five of them. Number one, take your shoes off at the door. Wife gonna get upset. Number two, if this is your first visit, I will serve you. But after that, you're on your own. Number three, bring drinks. And yeah, you can bring drinks for me too. However, if your drink is glowing in the dark or filled with sugar, go and keep that for yourself. Number four, white folks, please inquire, but refrain from interrogating. I know, Karen, I know. You want it to be one way, but it's the other way. Number five, learn something you didn't know you wanted to learn about and be entertained. It is okay to laugh. Look, I think that covers it. I am Dr. Justin Black. This is Just Black Talking. Let's go. Growing up as a young adult male in D.C., it was a lot tougher than opening up when COVID hit. <laughs> that was probably one of the easiest things that I had to do throughout my adult life and my, like just growing up in DC, period. It's my favorite month, February, Black History Month. And what a treat to have today's guest. But before we meet him, let's talk a little bit about history. Now, Georgetown. Okay, Georgetown is featured here today, and most of you are familiar with it because of the university. Okay, Georgetown's the oldest Catholic institution of higher learning in the whole United States. But maybe you know some of their famous alumni, uh, former and late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, Jackie Kennedy, or Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, if you will, Bradley Cooper, everybody's favorite actor, right? Pat Ewing, Dikembe Mutombo, Alonzo Mourning, Allen Iverson. Of course, we know the athletes. 
but maybe fewer of you are familiar with the university's history of selling slaves to pay off debts. Okay, 1838, they sold almost 300 slaves off because they were, you know, facing bankruptcy. This is something the university has recently acknowledged and made public apology and tried to make amends for. They've even found some of the descendants of these slaves that were sold and contacted them. And I think they, they've offered lifelong uh, scholarship admissions to, to Georgetown for, for the descendants of these slaves. But that's a little bit of a, uh, a less known fact about Georgetown. Even lesser still is what happened some years later. The Reverend Patrick Healy, who was the president of Georgetown and known as their second founder, he improved the, the school's standing and reputation and also the infrastructure, the campus itself. In fact, the flagship building on campus, which is part of Georgetown University's skyline and the town of Georgetown's skyline is a huge spire there, uh, but that is named after Reverend Healy. Back in his time, he was called the Spaniard, which is kind of curious, but there's a reason for that. See, the reality is his mother was black and his father was Irish. And in Georgia, where he was born, the laws were such that his father owned his mother and he and his siblings. And that didn't, um, I guess, suit the family so well. The decision was made to send the kids north for formal education. So Healy was sent north. He even made his way to Belgium, to Catholic University. And then he returned back and started his career at Georgetown and went on to become the president. But it was only years later that his heritage was revealed. See, so at that time he was passing. He was accepted and presented himself as white. And they called him the Spaniard, I guess, because he must have had some of that visual clue to him. But again, the university has acknowledged this. And it's notable. It's fitting that Georgetown's skyline is anchored by that landmark that's named and honoring a black man. D.C. has an interesting history, too. It used to include Arlington and Alexandria, which are now parts of Virginia, It's a 10-square-mile diamond of land, and it was a perfect diamond. Now, incidentally, that was surveyed and measured by another black hero, Benjamin Banneker. But why does it look so funny now? When you look at the map or you look at anything, you see that it's not a perfect diamond. There's There's a rough, jagged edge on one side. Well, that's because they were about to outlaw slavery in D.C., and Alexandria wasn't having it. There was no way they were giving up that slaving, so something called retrocession was approved by Congress. They broke off. That's why they're in Virginia now. Okay, so even the map itself shows the legacy of slavery. So before the U.S. or Washington, D.C. were even founded, there was Georgetown. And it was a big port city right here on Potomac River. Now, because it was an active port, there was a lot of slave markets and slave auctions going on. Now, everybody there was not enslaved. It was a mix of white citizens, free immigrants indentured servants. And then the blacks, you had both free and enslaved. Now, there was more slaves than freemen, but there was a significant amount of free blacks living in Georgetown. And all total, the population of Georgetown was as much as a third black people at at one point in time. Now, up until just right now in the summer of 2019, we had longstanding market Dean and DeLuca, okay, a popular chain around the country. But that building in the basement, there's remnants of slavery. That's where the slaves were pinned, okay, and held. That location where that former Dean and DeLuca on M Street was, it's less than a thousand feet from the Georgetown Butcher location. And that in itself, that's, that's the story of Georgetown, that juxtaposition of past and present and that complicated history of the town and our country. 
African-Americans, you know, contributed to Georgetown. We had doctors and lawyers and teachers, but Georgetown was the first, the original gentrified part of D.C., and it didn't go well for the black citizens of Georgetown. Even in my lifetime, we've had ugly legislation and regulations to block building a metro stop in Georgetown. Residents of Georgetown didn't want anything to do with it because they were afraid that it would allow too easy access for the wrong element to get to Georgetown. So these little bits of history really give perspective about our guest today. Okay, to have the opportunity to speak with Wendell Allsbrook, also known as the Georgetown Butcher. This is a black man born and raised in D.C. He now operates his shop just steps from a former slave auction site. That's remarkable. But it's encouraging to see his success and his influence in this part of town with such a dynamic relationship with blacks. Let's go meet Wendell. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Black Talking. I am your host, Dr. Justin Black, and thank you for subscribing, listening and supporting what we're doing here. Just a quick reminder, this is a platform where I am here to magnify the stories and successes of Black America. We are talking about all of the excellence that is around and abounds in our community. And today is no different. I'm super duper excited to have our guest today, Mr. Wendell Allsbrook. Wendell, can you please introduce yourself and tell the people what you're all about? Uh, Yes, my name is Wendell Allsbrooks. I'm from Washington, D.C. I'm owner of Georgetown Butcher. Just started a company March the 9th, 2020, in the midst of probably the biggest pandemic that the world ever faced. Absolutely. So Georgetown Butcher, I just think this is so dope, right? I mean, this is the coolest thing in the world. But before we get into to the butcher shop that you have in Georgetown, we got to go back to what I call the black story. I need you to tell me a little bit about where you came from, how you grew up, and then how did you get into this passion project of opening your own butcher shop? So I grew up in the heart of D.C., 13th and U, born in 1979, Washington, D.C., went to elementary school right down 13th and V, uh, spent a lot of time at Ben Chalivo's, just was like a normal neighborhood kid. Just seeing the whole place, like, get developed the way it got developed. You know, like, it, it just been amazing to see the growth of myself and the people that I grew up with that's in the community. You say you watch the neighborhood get developed. I, you know, I think most of it, we call it gentrified, right? I mean, this, the neighborhood's different than when you grew up, right? I mean, U Street with Republic Gardens and, and Twins Jazz and Ben's Chili Bowl is not the same U Street now. I mean, there's Poodles and, and Whole Foods and all that kind of stuff <laughs> over there now. But, you know, it's remarkable for you growing up a, a native son of D.C., Chocolate City, when it was really Chocolate City, Right. How did you get into butchery? So what happened was, as I was growing up, I was an inner city kid that, you know, like when I moved off 13th and U, I moved to 14th and W, like right around the corner. So I grew up in an environment, a lot of drugs, a lot of selling drugs, a lot of violence. So, you know, like you become a product of your environment. So what I did was I dropped out of high school, you know, like start hanging out with the, start hanging out with the wrong crowd. 
Mm-hmm. And so once I did that, I kind of put all the pressure on myself to be successful because I told myself, like, I didn't drop out of school because I didn't know to work on anything. I just dropped out of school because I made a dumb decision. I, I just told myself that I was going to be successful. I put all the pressure on myself not to get in any real trouble, you know, like, so I was able to escape doing jail time, picking up a felony, just escape a lot of this stuff. I don't recommend anybody trying to drop out of school and not following through with going to high school like I did. But, you know, like, that was one of the things that I put pressure on myself to be successful. And I always said that, you know, like, one day I want to be, I just want to be, want to be somebody that can, uh, that can be successful. I want to talk more about kind of that part of the journey a little later, because I want to talk about it from your perspective now. Okay. And, and how it looks now, but let's come back to that in just a little bit. So you're growing up, you're in, you're in DC, school's not for you at the time. How do you start into this love affair, so to speak? in this industry? What happened was I worked at CVS Pharmacy. Then I worked at a certain place, Balushi's. And then the last company I ever worked for, I only had like three jobs in my life. So the third job I had, I worked at Organic Butcher McLean since 2005. When I started working there, you know, like it gave me hands-on experience how to run a business, how to operate a business. And then I felt, you know, like I found my niche, you know, like I found something that I was passionate about and I just kind of fell in love with it. And, you know, like when I first started 2005, it was funny because like we had a conversation, like we was going to go around and open up more butcher shops in the area. So that right there stuck in my mind that like, Wow, you know, I I got an opportunity one day owning my own butcher shop or working with the company I was already working with on opening more butcher shops, and I was going to get an opportunity of opening a butcher shop in Washington D.C. So back in 2005, I knew that I wanted to open up my own butcher shop. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but that was the idea of me becoming a business owner one day. So let me let me just get clear on this. So this is why you were in McLean, at Organic Butcher Shop in McLean. They were going to open up new shops. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, it was. It, it was told at the beginning us starting the company. What we was going to do is open up more butcher shops. So okay. after working there for X amount of years, we just kept that only one butcher shop. But it became my goal of opening up more butcher shops. You know, like, it became my goal to open up my own butcher shop. So you always had an ambition here, even if it wasn't formulated. You you were always ambitious to say, I can do more. Either we can do more as 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 the, the shop of McLean, or I on my own can do more. I just got to figure out how. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think that's really remarkable. Now, you, you talked about your, your, your journey through those, those high school years and, and you, you didn't go to school, right? You stopped. But when we see a kid out on the street during school hours, it's important to realize 
It doesn't mean that kid doesn't have dreams and ambition and he's not capable because you're living proof of that. You did, like you said, you didn't not go to school because you couldn't go to school, right? You chose something else, but you always had that ambition. You always had dreams for yourself and a drive to be successful. And that didn't go away. And all you needed was opportunity to get into it and, and look at you now. Yes. What do you think is your role to young kids that are basically living your life from 20 years ago? Right now, you know, uh, like when I grew up, I was a, I grew up in a single parent home. It was like me, my three sisters and my mom. And, you know, like my mom, she worked hard every day. My oldest sister, she was she's like the backbone of the family. Like, so, you know, like what I was able to do was, you know, like I was the youngest and the only boy. So I know young African-American men ages of 16 and younger. I know they have siblings and every household it need to be a leader. You know, like, they're not going to have nobody to look up to. And I think that's somewhat the problem is in the homes now, in the city homes now, because it's hardly, you know, like, it's a lot of single parents. Right, right. So what you're saying is you need some guidance and leadership in, in the home. You need somebody for kids to look up to. So my question to you is, how are you fulfilling that role, right? Because you're a bit of a role model. So how do you see yourself in that role? So right now, I did a lot of a lot of stuff right now. I haven't fully engaged into the community as much as I need to right now because mm-hmm. I've been, been been trying to get my business up and running through COVID. But I do have plans on the future of going back helping the younger generation. That's one of my biggest goals out there also. Now, since I became somebody that they can look up to, you know, like now, now is the time. Now I can start working with the community, working with the local government, working with people that work with the teenager, get my name out there a little bit more so they can feed off of my energy. You opened your business literally the week before Mayor Bowser shut down public businesses. Is that right? I mean, the pandemic hit the week after you opened your doors. Yes. The shutdown of D.C., the shutdown of the world was the same exact week I started Georgetown Butcher. What, what, What were you thinking? What were you thinking at that time? And I know, look, you're already in the butchery. So I know around the way that is not popular. So I know people were clowning. They had slick st- stuff to say to you. What, what were you going through when you say, I, I, Mama, I made it. I'm, I, you know, I finally opened my doors and now they're shutting the world down. Like, like, is the whole world against me? What was going through your mind? I said this. I don't say this too much because it's adverse. You know, like it was like it's adversity go around adversity. It only goes around and deal with the people that can deal with real adversity because at that point when the world shut down, my website wasn't up. I didn't have a delivery van, barely had product inside the store, didn't have inventory. 
So what it did was it gave me a chance to become a quicker and a better business owner, like off the ground. I ain't have no time to think. I had to react, you know, like, and that put me in a situation to be successful, you know, like that. I mean, it's always something that, need to drive you to become successful. And that's one of the things, like, if it wasn't no COVID, probably I would have took it easy. So, you know, like, it gave me a chance to really work as hard as I can to become a business owner. So you opened this shop. You're what, two blocks north of the Georgetown waterfront? You're right in the mix right there. You're right in, in prime time Georgetown, Washington, D.C., one of the poshest neighborhoods in the capital city of the free world, right? That's where you, Wendell Allsbrooks, that's where your shop is at. So you open up, it shuts down. And like you said, that adversity is coming for those who can handle it. And so immediately you have to revamp everything. It's no longer going to be this walk-in shop where where your people come in and, and, and look at your shelves and all that. You had to change everything about your business model immediately, sink or swim, right? Yes, So now let's talk about how you did that. And correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm overstating this, but some of your earlier life experiences prepared you for this grind. You you were ready to go out and do door-to-door deliveries and pound the pavement and and deal with this adversity because it wasn't all that new for you. Yes, you're exactly right. Like growing up, it was just like growing up as a kid, growing up as a teenager, growing up as a young adult male in D.C., it was a lot tougher than opening up when COVID hit. You know, like that, that was probably one of the easiest things that I had to do throughout my adult life and my, like, just growing up in D.C., period. You know, like, it was just like you, my uh, my primary goal was when I knew that I was going to open up the store in Georgetown was to get the doors open. And once the doors open, you know, like I worked on another goal. Then I worked on another goal. It was just like, you know, like I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself. And then I knew that because I wasn't responsible for COVID, you know, like I never, nobody was responsible for COVID. So it wasn't one of my, bad mistakes that I'd done, you know, like it wasn't like one of my judgment calls that kind of put the business, you know, like put me and my team, put me and my business partners at a risk, you know, like it was all of our, you know, like it was the whole world problem. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned something and I think it's, I think it's notable. You're saying that growing up in DC as a black male was harder than opening a business and being faced immediately with failure. Now, a lot of people would look and say, hey, after several years of raising funds and planning and development, if I open my business and it immediately fails, like this is catastrophic. This is jump off the building type of stuff. And you're saying like these challenges didn't come from me. So I'm just going to kind of roll with it and make the best of it. And by, by all means, you most certainly have made the best of it. Now, your story has attracted attention from a lot of folks. I mean, Fox News interviews, CNN, uh, the local uh, Washington Wind Network, you, you've Washington Post, you've been all over the place 
because this story is is really fascinating. And at this time where we have so many things coming together, yes, you got small business, right? Small business and COVID was a, a major national story. There were bailouts. There was all this kind of thing. But there's that story about you, your presence being in Georgetown that's also very notable. Georgetown has a very complex history with African-Americans. Way back in the day, 30 to 40 percent population was, was, was black in Georgetown. You fast forward to present. I'm not sure you may be the only black business owner <laughs> in the uh, in the zip code. Right. I mean, there's some 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 Indian and other Asian businesses, some uh, some Middle Eastern things. Not sure of any other African-American, particularly local born and raised African-American businesses there. So it is a it is an event that you were there. So I came into your shop yesterday. It was my little secret shopper mission. Right. I was going to come in and and do a uh, a stop and, 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 and scope. But you were there and there's something special about you. So instead of me being able to just come in and, and grab my stuff and leave and then have a comment about it. I had to engage you in conversation and we had to have a talk. And I want to share a story about something from that, 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 that encounter. You had a customer come in. And in my mind, she was a stereotypical Georgetown customer. She was an older lady. She's small. She might have been a widow. She's got a weak voice. She can't project more than a few feet away. You know, she had that look, that Upper West Side Manhattan look like she might have had a ruby stuck in her coat line and that she forgot about, you know, like she's just this this lady. You speak to her, you know her immediately. You know her order. You know what she wants. You tell her you still plan on having her over for dinner. The two of you have a relationship. So I want to know in this business and in particularly during the pandemic where you've had to get very impersonal with contactless delivery and online ordering. And for months and months, nobody coming in the shop, just coming to the door to collect their online pickups. For such an impersonal environment, you're so personalized. Your shop is so personalized. How is it? I mean, you're you're a lovable dude. I just want to know what is it that you're putting into this effort that the community is feeling because they obviously are responding to it. I tell everybody, I just use common sense. I'm not doing anything that nobody else can't do. I order the product. I get the product in. I treat everybody the same. Even if I've known you for 10 years, if you're a 20-year client, you for a day one client, like how you came in yesterday, you was a day one client. You get the same treatment, uh, the same product. If we out of stock on a product or the product is not as fresh as we think it should be, we don't sell it. You get the freshest product, even if we can stir you in the direction we need to stir you in so you can go home with just about the freshest product that we have inside the store. And I was going to say was uh, she... Uh, Linda normally come in and get a couple of fillets, you know, like center cut prime tenderloins. And, uh, as we know, the price of just about everything been going up. That was our conversation about the budget, you know, like mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. cut it too big. You know, like I'm on this budget. So, you know, like I had to cut it perfect for her. 
and, and you do that. And, and I, I just watched that interaction. I think that interaction really speaks volumes about you and why this business has remained successful through a period of time that was so challenging. The care that you put into it, the uh, the accommodation and the understanding of what the what the mission is, so to speak, you just personify it. And, and your staff does, too. There's something really special that's going on with Georgetown Butcher. I certainly came in and I got what I was looking for and was was more than pleased and can't wait for my next order. But that's a unique in, encounter and interaction in a unique part of the world. And I, I mean, it, it's almost it gives hope about how we can interact across racial lines, across socioeconomic lines. You're selling things that I'm certain you didn't grow up exposed to pasture raised this and that and Scottish salmon. And you've gotten yourself educated on these things such that you can provide them to a community and give them exactly what they need. How do you feel about yourself in that capacity? I tell a lot of people this. I feel, I feel the same just about every day. You know, like I work as hard as I can on these projects I'm working on. I don't get up too high. I don't get down too low. I try to stay in between that. I know how quick things can go sideways. And I work as hard as I can. And, you know, like the dedication is there. When you professionalizing something and you're a professional person and you'll feel whatever you do, your plumber, your concrete layer, your correspondent, your uh, mailman, whatever job you sign up for or whatever business you open it up, you should always be the same person every single day when you operate. I think that authenticity that you're bringing is what a lot of your clients are connecting to. They know they're going to get the same experience from you every single time. Um, it's not fake. It's not, you know, trying to butter them up for anything. It's just authentic. I think that that, particularly as a black man, I think that's a powerful message and a message that other younger black folks need to see is that, Wendell, you are you, okay? And that is more than enough for your success, right? You didn't go to Georgetown and start changing up anything or being somebody different. You came, you provide high quality service for high quality price, and you've been rewarded with loyalty from the client base. How comfortable do you feel in the environment that you're in? Because you, you chose Georgetown as opposed to any other part of the city, right? For a reason. But how comfortable do you feel? How welcome have you been in that community? My background comes from uh, McLean. Probably more indisposable uh, income with McLean just as well as, as in Georgetown. I've been able to just come in, not fit in, but kind of, you know, like open up the store, do what I need to do, and just be part of the community. I'm not there to impress anybody. You know, like I'm not there to put out a product or say how good the product is, and when you go home, is this some regular product you can find at the grocery store? And I really haven't been able to showcase what the store is about because every time you get almost operating at a high capacity, 
it's another uh, variant that comes out. So, so COVID has really been a little bit of a, a limiter, a regulator for you to kind of get get this dream fully realized in this way. So hopefully for, for, for many reasons, you know, we've seen our last variant, we can get back to some sense of normalcy and you can really display what your vision is for this, for this, this shop. What's your vision beyond this shop? I know the media be on the, on my next project. They probably have broadcast it before I do. So I let the media once they get in the hands of the right people, they'll probably say what the next project going to be. It's probably be one of the biggest projects of my life, and I'm looking forward to it. And, and it's going in an area where uh, it's huge. It's, uh, it's a real big project for me. You're such a humble dude, man. But So we'll wait. We'll wait uh, until it's able to be talked about, right, to talk about it. Let's go back to the shop a little bit. Tell me a little bit about what your goal is with your products that you offer, how and why you chose to, to bring those things to the, to the forefront. What's your mantra about this? Where are you sourcing these things from? What is your, what is your objective when you're bringing them in? What I do is, like a lot of people ask me, how do I know about this product? Uh, where do you get it from? And a lot of these products that I'm selling is the same products I've been selling for 20 years, my whole career. And I work with several different local farmers. And I'm going to start working with more of the local farmers, putting together this partnership with a few uh, local African-American farmers that I've been in the talks with about revitalizing their farm and uh and producing products on that farm, so I'm able to sell them out of the store. There's some other local farmers I've been in talks with. One day I want to get the whole, the whole entire store, just like all local raised products, and bring in some products from the Midwest, some products that I need to outsource from uh, other, other parts of the United States. Say a word or two about what the importance of local products is. What's, what does that translate to if I'm coming in to buy something? What does it matter if it was local? It's uh, helping out the local agriculture. It's our local farmers here that strive each and every day to get up five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning and raise their products. And we, not myself, but we as locals, we don't support the local agriculture. Some people go to farmer's markets, some people, you know, like it, it need to be a trend thing that we just buy everything local. That's terrific. I think that it has to do with freshness. It has to do, like you said, with the agriculture, the environment, the economy locally. But that's not all you do, right? Now, you're doing some high-end imports as well, right? Speak a little bit about that. The Scottish raised salmon that's coming in from Scotland uh, is that's a nice product that I uh, import in. I get it from a local distributor. Bring in Japanese A5, uh, bring in that from a distributor and those uh, Australia lamb. And so those are products that it'll be real hard to raise like Jap. You, you won't be able to raise the Wagyu beef, the Japan. Right. You, you, you can raise a, a domestic uh, Wagyu but the Japanese beef is is it's another level. That beef is only raised in Japan. But the other products 
like the lamb, the particular lamb that you took home, the lamb shoulder that you took home, it was Pennsylvania lamb. Mm-hmm. So it is a lot of local product that is already around. We just need to sell more of it, get it, get it out there in the community more. So people know when they come inside the different stores, where could you find a local product at? So you have a, um, a, a, it seems like it was a small section, but you have a section of produce, vegetables. Produce, bring in as much seasonal and local produce as I can. The eggs are local, pasture raised, free range. It's a big difference in the local, uh, the local price, pasture eggs, uh, free range, no antibiotics, no hormones. The other products is, uh, like any seasonal vegetables, I'm able to source from a local purveyor. People should be in fine tune with being used to looking at what do the farmer or what do the produce farmers, what do they raise at a certain time so they know how to cook when it when everything is in season. You can start like uh, doing a lot of your cooking to the menu of what the farmer is raising at the given time. It's interesting because not only are you providing these products, but you're able to provide instructions and suggestions to people too, how to cook this, what it's best as. That's a great service. But do you ever think to yourself like, man, I know you're going home and your wife thinks you're brilliant, but I cooked that for you. I told you what to do with that. That's my wife that's happy at home. You ever like have any conflict at all about that? Like, dude, you come in here and ask me how to cook this stuff every week. The whole food concept that I'm doing is what you just said. The food that I that I sell, the conversations that I have, it brings happiness. You know, like you you leave the butcher shop, you take the recipe, you take the recipe from me. You take it home and dinner time come is this all happiness. You know, like everything about the whole experience is just a happy experience. Well, look, I, you know, I, I came in. Uh, it was just yesterday. Grabbed some stuff. I cooked last night. I was happy. I cooked today. I was happy. Everything was delicious. It was great. I can't wait to get some more. So I, you speak the truth when it comes to that. Let me ask you about something completely different. What is the role for you? Uh, in all of this and in your life of your fitness and your mind state? Where I'm at right now, I lost like 40, 40 pounds. You know, like for me to operate at this capacity is all about mind, body, and soul. Throughout this pandemic and, and COVID-19 and, you know, like going into two years of of all of this People been, you know, like people haven't been at their best mental and physically. So when it comes down to that, I'm like walking, I'm jogging, you know, like I'm I'm disengaged with negativity, you know, like it's just I try to stay as optimistic as possible. Even though if I know I don't have a fair shot, I go to sleep thinking that. I'm able to get this deal done. You know, like I'm able, you know, like I'm able to do something unimaginable every day. You know, like I'm always like dreaming. I'm still dreaming. I'm still looking, 
what could I do? What concept could I do that'll that be the biggest concept of the food, the food world? I'm almost still a kid and I got to get on myself sometime because I need to grow up. But I'm <laughs> dreaming just like a three or four year old or five. It's like my imagination. Sometimes people need to tell me like, oh, you know, you're not going to pull that off. And then if one time they tell me that, that's where all the fire you come at. When somebody yeah. tell me I can't pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I look, I, I say what you've been doing has been working magically. I wouldn't say grow up at all. You look at, you know, that's what innovation is. You got guys like Elon Musk out there who says, I want a spaceship or I want to send a car. And he did it. Right. So you keep doing I'm not going to share what we talked about yesterday, but you do have ideas in the food world that are a decade away. And I think there's no better person out there than yourself to go out and bring those things to the world. So no, nah, don't grow up, bro. Just uh, <laughs> stay positive. You know, I wish I could get some more of that positivity, but stay positive with it. I think it's a remarkable, remarkable journey that you've been on. I'm so excited to see what's next. Legit, like you are the neighborhood butcher. Not many neighborhoods can say they have one of those. It's kind of a, a throwback to yesteryear, but it's all modern and it's all, you know, kind of uh, uh, spruced up for, for our new world with high-end products, total care and love by you and your staff, even though uh, the young brother Raekwon really, I mean, like he's his, the waves in his hair and all just gave me low self-esteem about myself when I come in there. You know, I used to be beautiful like that, but, you know, you have a great team around you. It shows. I think the interaction with with your client, Miss Linda, it it really shows the tenderness and the authenticity that you've brought to this project and that you've bring to your future plans. And Georgetown Butcher is, I mean, it's got staying power, man. It's here. It's here to last. You've weathered the worst of it. I think everybody should be very excited to see what's coming. Wendell, I want to ask you this. I know you lost your mother before you opened the shop, but what that you've done either before or, or after that time would make or makes your mother most proud? It's quite a few things that, you know, like it was, it was one of the things that I kicked myself at the beginning of when I first opened up the shop because I was like, I wish I could have got everything together to open it up while she was still alive. And I knew if she would have seen me on TV, and I know she probably seen me on TV from up in heaven, but if I knew she would have been in the house and seen me on TV, she would have probably jumped through the TV. Not just TV, bro, but like Fox News, national TV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, you know, like she was always a person that watched the news and she always get excited about people that she never known. I mean, people that she never knows. So send her son on the news, you know, like open up the butcher shop because I told her and I told just about everybody in my neighborhood, my 14th and you neighborhood that I'm going to open up a butcher shop every single day for like the last 20 years. And yeah. I was telling my mother that, like, I can't wait till I open up my butcher shop. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. Time kind of ran out on her life. And what I had to do is 
I had to continue to keep pushing. And knowing that she wasn't around to honestly see what was going on, it made me thrive even more because I was just like, there's nothing else in the world that I need to do to prove something to myself. I'm not the person that tries to impress people. You know, like I'm I'm done. You know, like those days is over, long gone. And so what I do is I try to impress myself. I'm in competition with myself. What could I do better? What did I didn't do the day before? And that's where I'm at. And, you know, like I know my mom's is looking over me because every time I get in a jam, Somehow I get out of the gym and I have all types of angels, you know, like this just protect, protect me. And, you know, like that's where I'm at right now. And, and your mom w- was influential in you developing all this, too. Did she also work in the uh, in the food industry in some way? She did a lot of hospitality work. She was just mm-hmm. like nine to five, pretty much a blue collar worker, uh, never finished high school, just like me. And just work, pay bills, took care of the kids. And, you know, like just just gave us the strength that we needed. So let's talk a little bit now about the services that you guys provide. You mentioned the delivery. You got delivery vans. Talk about a little bit about how people can get your products. Delivery, store pickup, curbside drop off. I walk a few orders here and there in Georgetown. Uh some people come once a month. We do bulk orders. Uh, we're going to get into more specializing in uh, quarter size of beef, half a side of beef, like special. Like, it's a lot of people nowadays, they don't eat beef. So we're going to come up with like a seafood, chicken, like turkey, whatever they want. This so we able to uh, fulfill their needs. That's excellent, man. So... Over the years, you've cultivated relationships with with farmers, distributors. Were you self-taught as far as the business of this goes? Or I guess my, my real question is, who was most influential for you along this journey, kind of empowering you to, to be your own business owner? What I did was like going, going out to McLean every day. Uh, it was like a two hour commute. I, uh, I jump on a train. Uh, jump on the bus pretty much every day for 15, 16, 17 years. I read a book going, read a book coming back. So over the 20 years of me working out there in McLean, I read probably anywhere from 50 to 100 books. So you you were maximizing your, your commute time for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like on the way going out there, I was just like self-educating myself. And then... I built up a relationship with the owner of the company, uh, my old boss. And so what he did was he gave me the leeway that I needed to have just so I can be more responsible, be more hands on with the business. You know, I think it's remarkable, man. It goes back to what we said at the beginning, that you always had these ambitions and these dreams of success for yourself. So, you know, you're, you're doing these long commutes on the bus and all these kind of things, and you, you're maximizing, you're reading, you're learning, you're filling your mind with things that are making yourself better. And, I, you know, I, I think that's something that a lot of us could learn from. What's your relationship like now with your former boss over at McLean? I mean, deep down inside, I don't, I don't go out to McLean anymore. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm so focused on Georgetown Butcher. Uh, a lot of the clients... 
not a lot of them, but I'm still in contact with a, a ton of clients from McLean, North Arlington. You know, like we share the same clientele base. You know, like but my my focus is Georgetown. You know, like yeah. what I'm doing. You know, like that's where my focus been at. You know, like uh, I haven't had a chance to catch up with anybody out there because they've been. Uh, with COVID going on and, you know, like I need to make sure I be up and running for the next 15, 20 years as a business owner. That company is like 20 years strong now. That's why I need to get Georgetown Butcher yeah. at. And that's been my focus. primary. Yeah, that's been my primary focus. Who's who's still with you from from the old neighborhood? Like who who's still riding with you from way back? Before we this this interview came on. Before I did this interview, I uh, I put it on a group text, and I wanted to uh, I wanted to get them a shout out because what we what we working on doing right now as we speak, we want to do uh, a coalition like a, a, a uptown black man coalition. Whereas what we do is me, North Dakota, Ashton, uh, stuff. What we do is run this coalition. We help. The guys that's coming out of prison, we help rehabilitate them back in the community. So they won't, you know, like, so they won't have to go back out there. That's our primary focus for this been one of our goals for this year coming up. And I told them, like, whatever we need to do, we need to do it now. They've been behind me and uh, I want to work with the uh, the local ANC and the community to see how many people that's part of the community that can come and uh, help us help us out so we can find a resource that we need just so we can help out the guys that's coming out of prison and re-entering back into the uh, community because it's the problem that we have and when they get out of jail some of them don't have families some yeah. of them can't get no job, can't get no housing, you know like so they end up going back to the streets what we want to do is we want to help them before they go back to the streets. If that makes sense. It, it makes perfect sense. You know, there's something that, that uh, briefly chatted about. And, you know, if you come out and you don't get a new perspective, a new skill set, a new environment, it's you know, very probable and understandable that you're going to repeat the same things that got you into trouble. So, you know, we talked to you and I today about, your role as a role model and how you view yourself in the community, your obligation to community. And I think that's really what you're talking about now is your intent, your plans with your group is to provide service to the community that's really meaningful. You, you see that there's a problem, right? We know we have, we have uh, brothers and sisters that are struggling they're in jail and they come out and they're lost. Uh, and then the neighborhood's completely different than when they, they went to, you know, went in. So, I think you standing strong as a successful business owner as you are and having that commitment still to try to help guide people through, it really just speaks again to that authenticity, that genuineness, that lovability that you have as an individual and it comes across in your business. And so, look, man, I wish you all the success. I'm excited to hear about the uh, project you couldn't talk about. Keep my ears open. Maybe once that jumps off, we can we can get back with you here on the podcast and have you share about that and tell us what's up. How do people reach the butcher shop? 
how do people, if there's anything for the coalition that you're talking about, if there's any kind of social media or donations or anything like that, what are the, what's the contact points for you? Oh, the contact point, it'll be Wendell at georgetownbutcher.com. W-E-N-D-E-L-L at georgetownbutcher.com. Yes, yes. And what I can do is we working on now building a website and doing all that for the Uptown Black Man Coalition and starting a social page. And uh, I'm on Instagram, Georgetown Butcher, Instagram, IG. Uh, so if anybody looking for product, they can uh, they can send a Google message. They can call a store phone. They can email me. You know, like I'm I'm working uh, Wednesday through Sunday. So I'm always at the store. And uh, yeah. as you like, when you came in, Justin, I was I was waiting for the next uh, customer to come in, waiting for the next client to come in. So I'm always waiting. For, I'm always waiting for uh, new people to come inside the store so they get yeah. the best no, you, experience. You right there front and center for sure. Um, I think that's great. I want to give a little bit of a, a shout out. One of our mutual friends, Chef Declan Horgan. He's at Declan seven six. Uh, on Instagram, um, he was one of the first people that mentioned you to me. And it was funny because he says, hey, call my buddy at Georgetown Butcher. And, you know, just me being, you know, who I am and where the way I saw everything, I said, oh, OK, must be it's probably a white dude named Scott down at the place called Georgetown Butcher. You know, I had no idea that it was you. And, uh, you know, Declan is a, is a, a good friend. You know, we're wishing him all the success uh, with his endeavors uh, down in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. And, um, you know, he, he's been in touch to put me in touch with you. And I'm, I'm grateful for that as well. All right, Wendell, I think we're about ready to wrap up. Uh, anything else that you wanted to go over we didn't go over? I just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming inside the store. Thank you for reaching out to me last week. And thank you for making this happen. And uh, I look forward to uh, conversating with you even more and, uh, helping out the community. Uh, that's one of my biggest goals now. Uh, since the business is up and operating now, I think, you know, like now I can have a bigger conversation with the people I need to have a conversation with this so we can find out what's going on. Who can we help? Who want help? Who don't want help and help the people that want help and help the people that want a better future. Absolutely, man. I, you know, it's funny. It's it's almost symbolic, but you know, meeting you, speaking with you, coming into the store, it feels like I've I've grown my family and I've got a new part of something that I know is going to be a lasting relationship. And I'm looking forward to it. I wish all the best for the success to you, Georgetown Butcher and the Uptown Coalition. I'm looking forward to it, and I'll see you in two weeks for that special order as well. Okay, appreciate it. <laughs> appreciate the time. That's going to do it for this episode. I thank Georgetown Butcher, Wendell Allsbrook, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm just super excited about the idea that we have a black butcher in Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Totally lovable dude, really relatable brother. And he's got that product, man. You know, it's, it's really it's good stuff. And if you like me and you like getting in the kitchen and you like eating good stuff, this is a, this is a great place to source what you need. So I'm looking forward to it. If you or someone you know is displaying Black excellence, and you think uh, would be a good guest here on Just Black Talking, hit me up at Just Black Talking on Instagram or JustBlackTalking.com. Thank you, and we will see you again soon with the next episode. <music>